The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. We give you praise and we give you glory. Thank you for how you have helped us thus far this weekend at the first worship experience, the second worship experience. Lord, I've come before you again this morning. I ask in the mighty name of Jesus that, Lord, you will put your words in my mouth. That, Lord, we will not hear the voice from man, but, Lord, we will hear directly from your throne in heaven in the mighty name of Jesus. And we will hear clearly and we'll be able to walk in wisdom with you in the mighty name of Jesus. Honor and glory we give unto you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, we'll start again on a lighter note. Uh, yesterday I was sharing an experience uh, that I had this week. Um, I was in my house and um, my neighbor had a challenge getting into their apartment because they lost, they misplaced their key. And she had just gone to school to bring her kids back. Uh, and she had two, two kids. One was uh, seven, six, and the other was four. So while the kids were staying with me, sorting out the door, I decided, okay, let me help them out. Okay, guys, let me see. Did you get an assignment from school or something? You know? So the younger girl came. She's the four-year-old. And gave me her assignments. And when I looked through it, you know, at, she was still at the age where um, the mathematics they are doing revolves around five, you know. So, for instance, they gave her exam, uh, questions like three plus two, you know. So when she wanted to do it, she would count, hold out her finger and say three plus two. And match it together like this and count one, two, three, four, five, right? And she did the assignments, but... She did, it was just five questions, three plus two, two plus four, you know, she did all of that. So I wanted to challenge her more. So after they had finished the assignment, I said, okay, get a piece of paper, I'm going to give you more. And I gave her four, five questions. Four of them were all revolving around what she could count on a finger, you know, two plus one or three plus two, you know. Then the sixth, the fifth one, I deliberately shifted gear because I wanted to stretch her. So I told her six plus one. Then she went back, did the first four. Then I was watching her. She was struggling with the sixth one. She was six. She was struggling and struggling. Then after a while, she just stood up. She didn't even come and meet me. She just went to meet her mom. She said, Mommy, I don't have six fingers. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> You know, we had just a good laugh. It was very interesting. You know, I have six fingers. You know how children think. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This morning, we're going to be talking about the miraculous birth of John the Baptist. The miraculous birth of John the Baptist. And we'll be taking our text from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. Is there anybody here that has six fingers? Hallelujah. Luke chapter 1, verses... 5 to 25. I will read. It says, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. 
He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by Lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside, praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaking and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. I'm telling someone today, God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even, from, even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord, their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Everybody say proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zachariah to come out of the sanctuary. Wondering why it was taking so long, when he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zachariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home, and soon afterwards, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Everything that has been causing you and has represented a cause of disgrace in your life, God will take it away. In the mighty name of Jesus. Story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. They lived all their lives in the house of God. The Bible makes it clear that they, they were even born into the, in, into the lineage of priests. You know, Zechariah was, uh, was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. So if we were to relate that to today's terms, it's probably like the, the father of Elizabeth was a pastor, the mother of Elizabeth, sorry, the father, sorry, the father of Elizabeth was a pastor, the father of Zechariah was a pastor. So they were children of pastors marrying, and they still also became pastors. The Bible goes further to explain that Zachariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. 
So even God had a testimonial about them. He called them righteous. They were not anyhow Christians. They were true Christians. They were serving God, even in their old age. As old as they were, they were still living for God. I mean, serving God, working for God in the temple. They were still doing all the heavy lifting that they needed to do in the house of God at their age. But there was one thing missing in their lives. They didn't have a child. Elizabeth was tagged, barren. Because the world had looked at her scientifically, biologically, age-wise, and had said, case closed. They didn't have a child. This can be very, very frustrating. And I, I look at their story, and I say, how does this relate to us? Because as Christians, the truth is that even in today's world, we are here, we're working for God, we're serving God, we're workers in his vineyard, we've been 20 years, 30 years as a Christian, born again. But there's still one thing that we may be asking God for, and it appears like God has not answered. Maybe you've been carrying a wound or you've been carrying a, 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 a health condition, and you're saying, God, I have seen people give testimonies about this. I have seen people receive their own healing. Why are you delaying on my case? After all, you said I should serve you. I am serving you. You said I should live for you. I am living for you. There are a lot of Christians that maybe you are saying, okay, look, corruption is becoming a culture in Nigeria, but I choose to stand out of this. I'm going to remain sane. I'm going to remain clean and pure. I'm not going to be corrupt. And those that are living corrupt lives appear to be the ones changing their cars every day, building new houses, and you, you are still squatting with your friend because you cannot even afford to pay rent, and you are a Christian. You've been a Christian right from the time you were young, now you are 35, and you are still trusting God for a life partner. All your girl friends that were promiscuous, all your boyfriends or male friends that were promiscuous and doing all stuff, a lot of them are settled. They have four children now. You, you are still trusting God for one, just a life partner. Zachariah and Elizabeth were also in this kind of mode because they lived all they knew how to do was to serve God. And the only thing that they really needed, the key thing that they really needed to make their joy to be full, God denied them of it. Or it appeared like God denied them of, of it. They had grown old. The world attacked them barren. As a matter of fact, it was so bad that when the message came to Zechariah, there was no excitement. If the only thing is there was, how can this be? You know, God comes to an old man and says, you're going to have a child in your old age. He quickly does the maths. My wife is maybe 70 years old. The last time she saw her period was maybe 30 years ago. We've forgotten about this matter. We've moved on. Yes, we're going to still serve you. Yeah, but we've moved on. Then God says, don't worry, I'm going to do it. And he's like, how can this be? There's no excitement anymore. Is it now in my, when I'm 95 years old that I'm going to begin to change diapers? He had lost hope. He was not excited anymore about this situation, but God surfaced and said, your prayer has been answered. So there are a few things that I believe we can learn from the journey that they went through. 
the, the situation that they pass through that I believe if we hold on to it also, we will get the results that they eventually got. Praise the Lord. So first lesson from Zachariah and Elizabeth is that they knew that God's time for them is the best. When the angel appeared to them, he says, for my words will certainly be, in verse 20, he says, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at what? The proper time. What that means is that there is a proper time for everything. There's a proper time for everything. It's never too late with God. We may be looking at things physically. We may be looking at things, uh, I mean, using our brains and saying, okay, no, 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 no. There's a time for everything. Yes, that's what the Bible says. But with God, God is saying that he's the owner of time. He's never late with him. Not only is he never late, but God is always on time. Why is he always on time? Because he owns time. God was time before time became time. He owns time. He can do what he, which he, what, what he wants to do with time. Classic example of how God controlled time. You know, uh, going back to secondary school, they taught us in geography that um, one makes 24 hours of the days, usually when the sun rises and sets and rises again. When it's rising again, that completes a full day, right? So even the 24 hours that we calculate now is actually graduated into, you know, that cycle. Joshua 10, 9 to 13, tells us of an interesting story of how God controlled time. Joshua 10, 9 to 13. It says, Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into panic, and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth-Oron, killing them all along the way to Azekah and Makeda. As the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth-Oron, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm, hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Azekah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still. And the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. This story tells us that God stopped time. So that time that you think is going, God has the ability to stop it. Now, let me paint a little drama here about what happened there. God is in heaven looking down at Joshua fighting the battle. The Bible says... Joshua sprung a surprise on the Amorites. They didn't expect the attack. He sprung a surprise on the Amorites, and he began to attack them, began to defeat them. And God was like, wow, see my boy, see my boy, he's doing well. He was attacking and attacking. And after a while, the Amorites felt, oh, Joshua was going to take them out too much. Then some of them wanted to flee. And God said, no, 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 it's time. I need to step up and help this boy. And said, hails. Oh yeah, begin to fall. And hailstorm begin to fall. And the Bible says more of them were even killed from the hail 
than what Joshua was able to do. And this whole film was now becoming interesting to God. And time was going because the sun was about to set. And Joshua also knew the time. And said, God, you need to stop that guy so that he doesn't disturb us. We can finish this job. And God said, hey, son, I'm not ready. Stay there. Don't move. Continue. It was like drama. God was enjoying the movie, Nollywood. And because he controls time, he can stop time and tell time when to move and when not to move. And the truth is that God can, that did it for Joshua is able to do it for you. In the name of Jesus. God has control over time. You nev- it's never, never late with God. Never. Never late with God. Lazarus was another case that it looked late. Bible scholars tell us that when they sent for Jesus, no, the Bible, Bible says when they sent for Jesus, that Jesus was actually in Bethany and Lazarus was in Jerusalem. Bible scholars tell us that the distance between Bethany and Jerusalem was just about two miles. If Jesus was walking, it would take him 30 minutes walking. It would take him 30 minutes to move from Bethany, where he was, to Jerusalem. But guess what? When they came to tell him and say, Lazarus, your friend, the one you love, is sick. He just told them, don't worry, this sickness is not unto death. And the Bible says that he stayed back two days. Why would he stay back two extra days? Because he knows time is not important to him. He controls time. By the time he got there two days after, they said, God, Jesus, you are too late. Time is up. And Jesus looked at them and said, you guys don't understand me. I am time. I can reverse time. I can fast forward time. I can do whatever I want with time. What does time do? Time causes decay at times. Time causes rot. Time causes a smell. You know, for them to be looking at Elizabeth and they call that barren. It's like a smell. They call that barren. Lazarus was in that kind of situation also. Flies had come. Landed on the body, laid eggs. The eggs are turned to maggots. The maggot are tired eating away at the flesh and it was now stinky. But when God got there, when Jesus got there, because he's the one in control of time, every part of the flesh that the maggot had eaten, they started vomiting it. Because Lazarus had to respond to Jesus. Lazarus, comfort. And the rest is history. I pray that everything that looks like a decayed situation in your life today, God will reverse it. In the mighty name of Jesus. Third example I want to mention also when it comes to time is Abraham. I still struggle with wrapping this around my head, you know, but the Bible refers to Abraham as a friend of God. Right? Abraham, the friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God for 99 years before God gave him a child. What kind of friendship is that? 
friend of God 99 years before he got his child. I mean, how do you explain that? But you see, what I've come to realize in all of these stories is that the longer the wait for the answer to that problem, the bigger the eventual testimony. The bigger the eventual testimony. If John and, sorry, if Elizabeth and Zachariah had probably had, you know, <laughs> I, I was just thinking about their story. Elizabeth and Zachariah lived all their lives in church. So probably got married early because they would have found themselves quickly in church. They don't know anywhere else. So maybe they married at 27, 25. At that point when they were marrying, you know those days there's no family planning. So they say, okay, God, I'm going to have 12 children. They would have discussed it and even probably even given them names up front. Then five years into the marriage, nothing is happening. They say, okay, God, don't worry, we'll settle for it. Okay, we'll manage it, it's okay. Ten years into the marriage, nothing is happening. They say, God, come on now. Okay, four, 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 just four is okay. It's okay. Now they begin to move closer to 45. Nothing is happening. They're like, okay, we'll manage two. You can do two now. Elizabeth becomes 50. She's nearing menopause. They say, God, okay, we will be okay with one. Just give us one. And nothing still seems to be happening. Menopause comes and case is closed. Can you relate to this? But guess what? If God had given them that 12 children that they probably asked for initially, it would have just been maybe ordinary 12 children. Because when God eventually responded, it looked late, but it was not an ordinary child anymore. This was a child that they said would walk in the power of Elijah. The forerunner of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one that would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Not an ordinary child anymore. Lazarus, Jesus could have come immediately and did that 30 minutes walk. That's the, the distance, I mean, putting it in perspective, it's probably like from Jack on Day to VGC. Jesus could have come and said, oh, Lazarus, my friend. No, 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 no. You, I, I need to heal you. And that healing would have been one of the other many numerous healings that Jesus did. It did. That probably would not have been recorded. You know, Jesus healed a lot of people that was not recorded. The multitudes, you heard it, he healed the multitudes. Multitudes. Malaria, bam. Stomachache. Gone. Fever. Rashes on the skin. Gone. Not recorded. They just calculate those ones as multitudes. But Jesus said, I go down to raise up Lazarus so that the glory of God may be revealed. That's the purpose. Those delays at times is because God wants to really show himself you know the way Pastor Asote was, uh, the way he said it in, in, in uh, Tribe, in the video you watch. He said there are some things that God has to do so that the whole world will know beyond reasonable doubt that it was him. So he had to get Lazarus to the point of, would I say no return? But God alone can return. Abraham, same thing. 99 years, but when eventually got a child, he got the child that led to an entire nation, an entire race. Hallelujah. 
Delay is never denial. Don't mix it up. God's delay is not also because he's not aware of what you are going through, but he's saying, don't worry, hold on there. I am going to take the glory eventually. I'm going to take the glory eventually. Praise the Lord. I pray that God will give you the grace to hold on to him and wait for him in the mighty name of Jesus. The second lesson, second thing we need to learn uh, from the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth is that they knew that God's thoughts for them is the best. God's thoughts for them is the best. They never in their wildest imagination planned that they would be the one to have the child that would be the, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Like I said, they probably were just expecting 12 ordinary children, six boys, six girls. See, six, six, go, let's draw. They never thought that they would have that much of, 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 of power packaged into one, even at their late old age. But in between all of that, they knew that God had good thoughts. Because if they did not, they would have maybe left the temple, left their work for God. They held on to God. That I may not be getting the answer that I want right now, but I know that you have got good plans for me. And God gives us a scripture that comforts us, Jeremiah 29, 11. Most people that give their lives to Christ, I'm sure this is the one of the very first scriptures that you learn, and which is very good. But you know, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. A lot of times, because some of these scriptures are so popular and so frequently read, we actually don't even soak in the meaning anymore. We need to read this scripture over and over and say, for I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So I'm going to encourage, I'm going to ask you to just say this after me until, we're going to repeat it until it sounds like you mean it. So if you have to read it a hundred times, just be ready. Hallelujah. So you're going to say after me and say, I know the plans God has for me. They are plans for good. And not for evil. To give me a future. And a hope. I know the plans God has for me. They are plans for good. And not for evil. To give me a future and a hope. Say it like you mean it one more time. I know the plans God has for me. They are plans for good and not for evil. To give me a future and a hope. The MSG version of the same scripture actually brings it more home. I love this version. It says, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. <laughs> plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. This is what the scripture says. I know what, I, I mean, isn't that just comforting when God tells you, I got recovered. I know what I am doing. Only God can see the future. No matter how well we plan, you can, I mean, today is Sunday, I'm sure a lot of you are already even planning your week. No matter how well you plan your week, the truth is that it is only God that is certain of what is going to happen. 
Only God can see the future. When some things happen at times that we don't know why, we don't understand, it looks like God is abandoning us or God is betraying us or God is not playing his own part. But no, 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 that's not the case. God says, I know what I am doing. I know someone that um, was sharing this, uh, his testimony. And the testimony was that he, he wanted to buy a piece of property in Lagos. And he had paid for the property in a particular location. And after a while, a couple of months, he heard that they wanted to, you know, Omonile issues. You know when you want to buy property in Lagos, that's the biggest problem, right? Omonile. We all know what that means, right? Good. I think they should even put that word inside the dictionary now because it's so universally accepted. Omonile, big time issue. So he heard that they, were, they, were, they wanted to resell the, the piece of land, and he ran to where he bought it, and lo and behold, the guy in charge had taken off. So he had to meet the new people in charge, and they said, okay, sorry, uh, the honest truth is that that guy that has taken off, he knows what he has done, because he has oversold all the lands that belong to him, and even sold the ones that did not belong to him. But as you can see, we, we can prove that you have uh, you made a genuine purchase, you really paid for this, so this is what we're going to do. We have to relocate you to another place and uh, it's going to be first come, first serve, because the guy that you bought from has really run away, so there's nothing we can do. But we're going to relocate you, but in addition, you have to pay again. So the guy was like, what kind of devourer is this? I'm paying my tithes, come on, what's happening here? So, he didn't have an option. He had to weigh the, ask himself, do I lose the land and all the money that I've paid, or do I pay an extra and lock it down now? So he went ahead. How much was he supposed to pay extra? They asked him for a million naira, a whole million naira. Plenty money, right? was really upset, but he had to shell it out. He had to look for it, and he gave it to the money. and wrote a check. So they gave him all the documents he needed, and he went back home. And one day, two days, three days, they didn't present the check. Four days, five days, after one week, he called them and said, ah, guys, I've not seen this check. What's happening? He said, don't worry. We're going to present it. We're just doing some things. Don't worry, don't worry. Just Maybe we've given you a document, no problem. And he moved on. Six days, seven days, two weeks, three weeks, as I speak to you, this is the third year that check has not been presented. You know why? Because God says, I know what I am doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. Hallelujah. God is not only thinking of your now, he's also thinking about your future. Even the future you have no control over. Hallelujah. I pray that you will stay where God has put you. In the name of Jesus. Third thing that we have to learn from this couple, Elizabeth and Zachariah, is that they knew that God's answer for them is the best. 
God's answer for them is the verse. Verse 13 says, God has heard your prayer. That was the message from the, uh, that the angel delivered. God has heard your prayer. How will God hear their prayer if they had not continued praying, even in that old age? Meaning that they never got tired. They just stayed there praying and praying until, it, until that, that prayer point became, became, even went out of fashion, but they still kept praying. Even when it looked like it was no longer possible, they didn't change their prayer points. You know, when, when, God, when an angel appears to you and says, God has answered your prayer, you're almost sure that it is that prayer that you're praying at that time. That's why that kind of response will come. So they never got tired of praying. They were like, okay, everything looks old, everything looks far gone, everything looks impossible, but we're still going to pray because God says anyway that we should ask till our joy be full. So they kept asking. And guess what? They never checked any other options out. We need to realize and realize very quickly that there is no other option when it comes to answers to our prayers. There's no other, no other place to turn to. A couple of months ago, I was driving towards this side of town and I got to a job bus stop. I can't remember what I, why I parked or something, but before I knew it, there was a lady that she... T- okay, I, don't, I can't remember why I parked now, but I remember that the lady just walked up to me and she thought I parked because of her. And lo and behold, it was someone that had been in church for a long time that had not been seen also for a long time. So I was like, ah, uh-uh, how are you doing? Long time, how have you been? She said, fine, fine, fine. So before I could even ask, she had opened the door because she thought I was, I parked for her. You know, she had opened the door and got inside the car. She said, it's fine. So where are you going? I'm going down the road. Okay, no problem. So I decided to give her a ride. So I asked her, where have you been? What happened? You haven't been coming to church. She kept quiet and smiled. So I probed further. What exactly is the problem? Then she opened up and said, Pastor, I am not okay. I said, what do you mean? Pastor, I am not okay. I've been serving God. I've been following God. I'm a worker, like you know. But things are not happening. Things are not working for me. So I'm not okay. So I left. Okay, you're not okay. So you stopped coming to church. So something just told me to ask her. Okay, so now that you stopped coming to church, are you now okay? Abby? Does it not make sense? So I asked her. Then the thing shook her. And she didn't have a response, of course. Until she got cut out of the car. I don't even think she said anything again. But what am I saying? There is no other option anywhere else. God's answer is the best. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, Salvation can be found in no one else. Throughout the whole world, no other name has been given among humans through which we must be saved. There's no other place to turn to. There's no other place to turn to. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Psalm 16, verse 4, that if you try to explore other options, listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 16, verse 4. It says, trouble multiply for those who chase after other gods. Psalm 16, verse 4. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. So you say you're a Christian, you're tired of God, you go elsewhere, guaranteed trouble is waiting for you. 
It's not only weighting, it is weighting in multiple ratios. Trouble square or trouble cubed. Trouble times trouble times trouble. Just because you explore other options, God is saying, wait, stay where you are, and he will respond to you in his own time. He will respond to you in his own time. Praise the Lord. The first thing that we can learn from this couple is that they knew that God's rebuke for them was the best. They knew that God's rebuke for them was the best. What do I mean? Verse 23 tells us that when uh, Zechariah, the angel appeared to him, verse 23, if you can bring it up, it would be nice, but that when the angel appeared to, to him uh, the, 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 and told him about what was going to happen, he did not believe. He said, how can this happen? Then what did the angel do? He said, because you did not believe. In addition to the fact that you don't have a child, I'm going to make you dumb. Double wahala for dead body. Abi. In addition to the fact that you are not able to have a child, I'm now going to have another problem. You can't talk again. And guess what? The Bible tells us that it was during when Zachariah started that week that the angel appeared to him. And read this scripture. It says, when Zachariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. So what that means is that in spite of the fact that God, in quote, has punished him for not believing, that God had now made him dumb, he still stayed working for God. He did not say, no, I'm upset. Ah, ah, no. I'm giving up. It's over. What's the point? A number of times we get to that point where it looks like God has really abandoned us and things are just getting from worse to worse. Then we start blaming God. No, 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 no. Zechariah stayed. Zechariah remembered that it is, the lo- it is the son whom the father loves that he chastises. It is because of love that God can even say, okay, I'm going to correct you. You know when God punishes us at times or does some things, we forget that he has the ability to take us out just like this. So if all he says is, come here, don't do that again, we better say, okay, thank you. Praise the Lord. In spite of the additional body, in spite of the rebuke, Zechariah remained where God had put him, and he received what God had promised him. My prayer for you is that you will remain where God has put you, and you will receive what God has promised you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Any attempt for him to have left as a result of his being dumb would have led to abortion. Because it would have led to that, that, that plan to be diverted. God can bring John the Baptist through anybody else. Because why? God has his plan planned out. God knows what he is doing. We are the ones that just need to plug into his plan. He's got everything covered. Final point. Things that we can learn, lessons that we can learn from this couple. What's the first one? They knew that God's word, God's time for them is the best. The second point was that they knew that God's thoughts for them 
is the best. The third one was that they knew that God's answer for them is the best. The fourth one was that they knew that God's rebuke for them was the best. Then the fifth one was that they knew that God's love for them was the best. They knew that God's love for them was the best. No one else could love them like God did, even if it meant God's tough love. If you are really in love, you will know that with any, maybe with your spouse or with God, you will know at times that love is tough. Love is tough. It's good, it's beautiful, but it is tough. Right? You are nodding. Correct. That's the experience. Love is tough. Why am I so why am I saying love is tough? Because love makes you to do what is in the best interest of the other person that you are in love with, irrespective of whether that person likes it or not. At times, you know, um, I, I have um, three boys, and um, the two elder ones, they are always at each other's necks, you know. So, so at times when they are being mischievous in the house, I have to punish them, or I have to do something to just get them to, to shape up. And at times, the, when I'm punishing them, I can't bear the pain that they are going through that at times I have to leave the place so that, because I know that I need to do it, but I can't stand it. At times, I just forgive them because the pain even for me at times becomes unbearable. Tough love. Someone said to me a while back, he said, when you see an adult misbehaving in public, doing what he shouldn't be doing or saying what he shouldn't be saying, it's simply because when he was young, he did not have people around him that loved him enough to correct him. And that's the truth. Because love is tough. And God's love, yes, it is tough because it is God's tough love that would make God to call Abraham his friend for 99 years and not give him his child. Because he knew that Abraham needed to wait till 99 so that he can have Isaac because that was part of God's plan. It is God's tough love that would make Martha and Mary to cry for two days because their brother had died. And God was looking at them crying and crying and crying. But God knew that they had to cry for that two days so that on the third day, when Lazarus rises up, they will rejoice. Tough love. God, had to know, God knew that even Jesus had to carry that pain of the cross for our sake. God, God could have done a billion and one options to stop the pain that Jesus went through. But he remained mute, he remained quiet because Jesus had to go through that pain so that today you and I can be called Christians. God's tough love. God's tough love. 
And Jesus himself had to withstand that pressure. The truth is that when the pressures of life come, and they will come, when they come, we need strength to be able to stand against that pressure. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 24.10, it says, if you fail under pressure, your strength is small. That's what the Bible says. Proverbs 24.10. If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. So the issue is not with the pressure. The issue is with your strength to handle that pressure. And guess what? There is no trial, there's no temptation that will come upon a man that God has not prepared you for. It's for you to stand up against it. As I was coming this morning, I put on the radio in my car and uh, the, the, I was, there was a message that was going on from uh, Pastor Mensa Otabil, the Ghanaian. And in, in, in just the clip that I listened to, he said something about a man that had some issues and was crying out unto God like, God, this issue is going to kill me. It's too much for me to bear. I can't carry it. I can't carry it. And while he was praying, I think he went into a trance or a vision or something. And God took him into a room. And in that room, there were a lot of crosses. Big crosses, small crosses. Crosses made of stone. Crosses made of marble. Crosses made of wood. Crosses made of uh, all sorts. Raphia. All kinds of crosses. And God said... Choose one out of all of these ones that you can carry. And the guy looked at the ones made of stone. He said, oh, no, 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 this one is too much. Oh. He looked at the one for iron. He said, oh, no, this one will break my back. Then while he was looking around, he saw a small cross in one corner and looked at it, sized it up. He said, ah, this one is perfect for me. It's just right. And he went to carry the small cross. And he went to meet God. I said, God, can you see? Small one, perfect. It's okay. And God said to him, God told him, that small cross is the cross that you are presently carrying. That you are complaining about. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That small cross that you went to carry yourself and say, ah, this one is small enough. That is what you are carrying presently. So when the pressures come, the issue is not so much of the pressure. The issue is your strength. There's nobody that is born and grows up and suddenly becomes hefty like a bodybuilder. What do you do? If you want to, you know, be lanky and muscular, you eat the gym. Build your strength. Build your capacity. You want to be able to carry weights? Hit the gym. You don't just go there and with your skinny something. And you, want, you hit the gym early, frequently. Build capacity. The problem is never with the pressure. The problem is with your strength. God's love for this couple was such that he, 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 he could take them through whatever they, they needed to go through and it would still be there for them. So I'll round up with this story. Probably I've heard it before. But there was a father and a son who... I mean, it was an only son. The father was wealthy could afford whatever it is that he wanted to, he needed in life. He was wealthy. But he was a Christian, a good dad, and was training the child, the son, to walk in the same way that he was, he, he was walking. And um, he was noticing that the boy wasn't following really, you know. And uh, he kept encouraging the boy to be a Christian, live for God. 
and all this stuff, and they were in that journey together. So the boy grew up and was approaching his 21st birthday, and he had his eyes glued on a gift, a special gift that he wanted from his dad. And he wanted a car that he had seen in the car shop. A nice, beautiful car. So he said to his, himself, I know my dad can afford this car. He can afford a thousand of it if he wants. But I'm just going to go and ask him. I said, Dad, for my 21st birthday, if you are not going to give me anything ever again, but just this once, just this once. How many of us have gone to God with that kind of prayer point before? Just this, just answer this one. Don't, after this one, don't answer again. So he went to meet his dad and said, Dad, I want this car for my 21st. I'll be so grateful. I will, I will come and roll on the floor 10 times. I'll give testimony if you answer me. And the dad said, okay, I will think about it. And his 21st birthday was approaching. Each time he walks past the car shop, he would look at the car through the glass and he would walk past. When he was walking past, he would begin to speak in tongues. I claim you now in the name of Jesus. The next day he walks past, he goes beyond speaking in tongues. He stretches forth his hand. The third day he goes past, he doesn't even stretch forth. He goes inside and sits on the car and says, I possess you now. <laughs> Have we been on that point where we are trusting God so much for something that we are, we are going all out like that? And he does all of that. Then on the day of his birthday, he goes to meet his dad in his room. I say, Dad, and the dad says, Happy birthday, son. And he says, Son, I have a gift for you. And the dad brings a, a box. And the boy looks at the gift and says, Wow, that must be the car documents and everything in that box. Thank you, Dad. And the dad gave him the box. And inside the box, was a brand new Bible. And the boy looked at the dad and was so angry and said, Dad, I've only asked you for one thing, just one thing. I know you can buy a thousand of these things and you refused me. And he insulted the dad and left and walked out and dropped the Bible. And that was the last time he saw his dad because he left the house, moved to the city and started living his life. A couple of years after that, the old man died and they were estranged. They were not in connection. But because the old man loved his child, his son, even in absentia, he still loved him and was the only son. So when he died, he willed all that he had to him. So they reached out to him and called him and said, son, young man, your dad is dead. You need to come home to take care of things. And he came back home. And as he got back home, it was, of course, the house was empty. He went into his dad's room. And right there on the table in the room was the same box, exactly the way he had left it on that fateful day. And something told him to go towards the box. And he went. And he opened it. And the Bible was still there, untouched, unopened. And somebody told him to pick the Bible and read it. And as he picked the Bible up, out of the box, fell out the car keys of the car that he longed for so much. 
a number of times we find ourselves in this kind of situation where we are focused so much on what we want to get. But God is saying, give me your life first. And I'll give you whatever you need. Give me your life. And I'll give you whatever it is that you need. Because that is what is more important to him. For God, it doesn't cost him anything to bless us. A, thousand, a cattle on a thousand hills belongs to God. What does it cost him? How many cars you want? A thousand? Not a problem. But come to me. Come to me. What God is saying today is that he expects you to know that his time is best for you. Not only is his time best for you, but that his thoughts towards you are the best thoughts that you can ever think of. God is saying to someone here today, that answer that you are asking for, I am the one that has the best answer to your condition, to the situation you are in. God is saying that my love for you is the best you can ever experience. All heads bowed. Are you here today? This message is resonating with you. You've been trusting God so much for something that has made you to even look away from him, to walk away from him, to not follow him anymore. Today, God is giving you an opportunity to retrace your steps. You are here, you want to give your life to Christ, you want to rededicate your life. Maybe you've been following Christ before, but you've, you've derailed, you've gone astray, you've gone and chased after other gods, or other solutions. God is saying it's time to come back. You are here, you are in that situation, you want to give your life to Christ, just raise up your hand wherever you are, and you'll take a card from the ushers. That's all you're going to be doing this morning. Anybody here? You want to give your life to Christ today because this message is resonating. We're speaking to you. Just raise up your hand wherever you are. Wherever you are. Are you raising up that hand there? No. Wherever it is that you are, just accept Christ today. You want to accept him because you know that he is the one that has the best solution for you. He is the one that has the best answer to your life. Anybody there? Yes, there's someone there. God bless you, my sister. God is speaking to you. God is speaking to your heart right now. And say, don't make that mistake. There is no other solution elsewhere. There is no other answer elsewhere. My love is the best. My time is the best. My rebuke is the best. My thoughts are the best for you. You want to give your life to Christ? Final call. God bless you for, for that, my sister. Final call. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you, we honor and adore you, we magnify your name. We can never and ever thank you enough. Thank you, Lord, for your daughter. Thank you for the life that she's ready to accept right now. Pray in the mighty name of Jesus that everyone that has heard this word, oh God, today that this word will be fruitful in their lives in the name of Jesus. That these words, Lord, will be of use and will help us to remain steadfast and walk with you. In the mighty name of Jesus, honor and glory be given to you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name.